You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome to American Sex, the award-winning podcast dedicated to challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have in the U.S. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and ridiculous, sadistic kinksters. We're also non-monogamously married to each other. So strap in or strap one on. In this house, your pleasure is power. Your kink is customizable. And your subversive perversions are revolutionary. Welcome, my friends, to episode 191 of American Sex Podcast. I, I just love my sound effects button so, so much. This week's episode is Kink and BDSM myth busting. And our guest is me. Now, Ken won't be joining us for this episode, but he will be back soon. This is usually the point in the episode when I tell you the guest bio. You know, many of you already know me, though, and I'll have my formal bio in the episode description. So go read that if you want to. But for those of you who don't know me, here are the quick down and dirty details. I am Sunny Megatron, a BDSM and American College of Sexologist Certified Sexuality Educator and a Certified Relationship Coach. I'm also the host and executive producer of the Showtime original series, Sex with Sunny Megatron. And along with co-hosting the ASECT award-winning American Sex podcast that you're listening to right now, I also co-host Open Deeply podcast with licensed marriage and family therapist, Kate Larie. I'm formerly a contributing editor of XBiz Pleasure Product Trade Industry Magazine And I'm now the editor-in-chief of Zipper Magazine, a multimedia mainstream digital magazine dedicated to all things kink. Now, in addition to my public-facing sex and kink education efforts, I work with and train those within the pleasure products industry, both on the business side of things and the sex ed side of things, plus train care professionals like therapists and med students and social workers, et cetera, about BDSM and alt sexuality. Now, although I'm a mental health geek and I talk a lot about the intersection of uh, eroticism and sexual identity with mental health, and I work alongside therapists, I am not a licensed mental health professional, nor do I hold a degree in psychology. Way back when, when I was a women's studies minor, which is now called gender studies, it was a long time ago, I'm old, uh, and also a psychology major. After realizing that I didn't want to be a client seeing therapist, and again, this is a long time ago, way before I could just go on the internet and be like, what are all the things I can do? I didn't have much knowledge about the research side of things, which is absolutely more my jam. So I was like, nah, not doing this. I switched my major to marketing to use my knowledge of psychology for the evils of capitalism. <laughs> I know. Okay, we all make questionable decisions in our youth. Forgive me. I know I was misguided. Uh, So I ended up with a BSc in marketing and a minor in women's studies, almost also a minor in psychology, but didn't quite get it. Um, And prior to this, I worked 17 years at the top worldwide ad agency, Leo Burnett, peddling things like beer and tampons and breakfast cereals to the masses through psychological trickery. 
until I got back to my roots and I was like, this is, I feel dirty. Oh, uh, I made the career switch to sexuality education in the late aughts. And here we are. Anyhow, today's episode was going to be the third installment of our kink education freestyle series, where I bop from topic to topic, like stream of consciousness style, right? And when I started recording the first topic, which ended up being the only topic that I talked about in this episode, was spawned by a conversation that was happening in the public sphere. So that subject matter was on my mind. And I had been gathering resources, uh, thinking a lot about it. So that was a natural place to start a kink freestyle episode. But kink and BDSM myth busting is such a beefy topic. It easily ended up being the whole episode. And really, that's just scratching the surface. This could be a whole book, a whole quarterly or semester class uh, in your university. Like it's a, it's a lot. Uh, so some of the myths that I bust scratch the surface on busting. Cause there's a lot uh, one that kink is always an only sexual Two that kink is um, currently considered abnormal or pathological by the um, psychiatric and sci- scientific communities. And that there is a dramatic difference between the way that academic and clinical psychological community view things and define things and the way that the BDSM community or subculture define things, view things, etc. Three, that dark age play, aka sexual littles play, is abusive, wrong, pathological, and akin to reenacting pedophilia. Uh, four, and again, these are all myths, right? They're, they're I'm going to disprove them. Uh, four. Those that engage in kink, especially those who practice non-sexual or what we call platonic kink, are doing it as a form of self-harm. Like, for instance, sadomasochists that engage in play for the, the pleasure that that sadomasochism brings them or people who engage in different kinks because of the uh, psychological reasons that that is actually self-harm. Am I a four? Five. Five. People um, have kinks due to unresolved, unreconciled trauma. And that is such a horrible thing. And there's more, but those are kind of the, the big major beats along the conversation. Now, the reason I think this episode and busting these myths is important is because these myths are the basis of a great deal of kink stigma, both in the mainstream and even from within our own community sometimes. So you who are listening right now, American fucker, you might believe some of these things, right? Or you might not, but you might have people in your lives who do. And you need some concrete talking points and resources for when you're having this conversation with other people. And maybe those other people are your therapists or another mental health professional, right? You need talking points for them to explain your lifestyle to them. Or maybe you just tell them, hey, listen to this episode, American Sex Podcast, episode 191, right? And also, some people who are currently in 
you know, undergrad human sexuality classes or uh, even master's or higher level programs are still being taught outdated material by professors. And that material pathologizes what we do, misunderstands what we do. So this is also information that can counter that as well. Now in the show notes, I'm going to have a buttload of resources. Not only everything I mentioned in the episode, from books to professional mental health organizations and certifying bodies to research teams to research journals and a bunch more, I'll also put in a few that I did not mention. Organizations along the lines of the NCSF, which is the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, or uh, Woodhull. I'll also have links to other episodes of American sex that feature licensed uh, therapists and other professional organizations that you can use as concrete, respected, and I'm putting that in finger quotes, resources when you're having some of these conversations with other people. And the reason I'm putting respected in finger quotes is because sometimes when you tell people like, oh, that belief you have about BDSM or kink isn't accurate because uh, people in the community believe or say yada yada. Or, you know, go ahead and read this book by this uh, well-known BDSM educator that happens to have no professional credentials. And I'm doing finger quotes again uh, because you and I both know that those credentials don't necessarily mean jack shit. Plus, there are so many other sociological implications and biases that go hand in hand with only respecting information from those who have PhD behind their names, right? Like classism, racism, to name a few of the many isms. You know, on the flip side, Anybody can go on the internet these days and be like, I'm an expert. So on that flip side, as consumers of this information and consumers of this content, we need to be able to evaluate what is the validity of this information or the background of this individual. It can get a little complex, but it is not only official degrees from certifying bodies that require a lot of privilege to get. But that is a whole nother episode. And I've talked a lot about that. If you are a regular listener of American Sex Podcast or consumer of my content, that is a a frequent reoccurring conversation. But again, like I said, that's a whole nother episode. Uh, But for those who will only take into account information from those who they consider, quote, credentialed enough, the resources that I'm giving you do satisfy that often arbitrary criteria. But before we get into that, we are going to wash the balls, which is housekeeping here on American Sex. Let's do it. The ball washing noise. Now, again, as it has been on the last few episodes, these balls are already kind of clean. There isn't a whole lot because I have been working my patooter off on what has now been released to the world that I've been hinting about that, you know, I can tell you everything now. Zipper Magazine. ZipperMagazine.com is a collaboration between me and pioneering fetish platform Clips for Sale. Now, our content is made by kinksters, and it is for not just kinksters, but for everyone, from people who are 
BDSM lifestylers, down to the curious vanilla folks, even the disbelievers. As this whole episode demonstrates, there is a lot of stigma about kink, and many in the mainstream hold and perpetuate damaging misconceptions about what we do and why we do it. And our goal at Zipper Magazine is to help bridge that gap. We aim to cut through the stereotypes and the sensationalism that you see that's typical in the media to actually represent kink, everyday kink, in a relatable, destigmatizing educational, but also entertaining way. And our tagline of sorts is Zipper Magazine. No stigma, no judgment, no fluff, just realistic kink for real people. So we're a digital magazine, again, devoted to all things kink with a focus on education, culture, and community, and much needed nuance that is missing from these conversations. We release multimedia content every single week. So that includes written articles, video, and audio. A lot of our... um, Authors of articles will read their articles like uh, ebook or audiobook style, and you can listen to the content as well in the author's own voice. And the content and the website is suitable for work. It is mainstream suitable. And we feature some of the most recognizable voices in BDSM and kink, as well as valuable perspectives and insights from everyday kinksters. So, so far, we've got pieces from Midori, Melina, Pup Amp, and Mr. Christopher from What's the Safe Word, Kitty Stryker, me, Sinclair Sexsmith, Dom Tomorrow, and a bunch of other people. So, go to zippermagazine.com right now. Everything's all there online. And I'm going to give you a peek ahead to the content that we're dropping this week. So it's all centered around the age old question and debate that makes us want to beat our heads against the wall. Are you ready for it? You're going to be like, ah, does kink and leather belong at pride? Ah, Yeah, we're there's there's a lot. So get ready for that. And if you're a writer and a kinkster or educator, and you've looked at our content and you dig the flavor of our content. You're like, wow, you know, I have something to contribute. Now, I have still yet to gather all the information to get pitch uh, page and forms up onto the website. But right now you can still send me an informal pitch. Send me a casual paragraph or two on what the meat of your article or video will be about, maybe a working title too, um, and also a link to two or three prior articles or videos that you've done in the kink sphere, or if you don't have that, some writing samples. And if you're listening to this episode weeks after our release date, our release date was the 20th of June, 2022. It's now the future, and there is a pitch page and submission form up on zippermagazine.com. So just go to the site and look for, you know, become a contributor at Zipper Magazine, click through, and that's it. Now, one last thing. I would love for you to please follow Zipper Magazine on social media. I'll have all the links in the show notes. We are gunning for our YouTube and Facebook vanity URLs. Uh, Plus, the social media team has some great content. I'll have all the handles, like I said, in the show notes. Uh, A lot of them are zippermag.com, all spelled out one word. Uh, And I have to say, I just have to give a shout out for when I say the team, there's a lot of people working on this. And I'm really thankful to Clips for Sale 
because like I said, this is a publication by kinksters for everybody. But when we do stuff like that as kinksters, we don't have a lot of money and we don't have a lot of backing behind us. And Clips for Sale rose up and they're like, hey, we gotcha. We're going to get the designers to put the website together. We're going to have the the social media team work on promotion and social media and get these really important conversations out into the world. So I just have to say that I am so thankful to the team at Clips for Sale that I'm working very closely with that believe in not just my mission, but our mission. And that kink and unconventional adult play is valid. It fulfills our lives. And it is not something to be shunned. It is something that is misunderstood. And someone's got to not only have the voice, but put the dollars behind clearing up those misconceptions. So thank you, Clips for Sale. And Everyone I'm working with on this project uh, at zippermagazine.com. You know who you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyway, so secondly, before we move on to our meat of the episode, I just want to mention here at American Sex Podcast, we have a kink and sex positive Discord server, and you're welcome to join. Go to bit.ly slash Discord ASP, and the ASP is for American Sex Podcast. Uh, We're also going to be looking for some moderators soon. Like, we are growing. Ken is heading all of that up. He's going to be in charge of that. So look for that over the summer. And if you are in the server already, you're interested in becoming a moderator, send one of us a DM. Otherwise, hang tight for all the information will be coming soon. Also, We've got a Patreon page with extra goodies for members at patreon.com slash American sex. And also one other thing for you, absolutely free in the show notes is the link to my free BDSM negotiation mini workbook. So go get yourself that too. And a quick peek ahead to next week's American sex podcast episode. It'll be a week from today. June 27, 2022. And I'm super excited about it. Me and friend and BDSM education royalty, Midori, y'all know Midori, and Joe Zarate Sanderlin, a licensed therapist, we're all going to sit down together and go through the infamous BDSM test. You know the one at bdsmtest.org. And there's been a few copycats that are almost identical. Oh, yes, we are going to be deconstructing it question by question. Now, I know that many of you absolutely love the BDSM test or some of its, uh, you know, copies or similar tests. It is quite legendary in our communities, especially for kink novices, for beginners just starting out on their kink journey and finding their way. But it has got some problems, y'all. And we're going to talk about it next week. So stay tuned for that. And that episode too will also have bonus content that will go up on American Sex Podcasts and Midori's Patreon. So yeah, mark your calendars. It's going to be good. Okay, that's it. These balls are clean. Yes, squeaky, squeaky, squeaky. Here is kink myth busting with guest me, Sunny Megatron. (laughs) 
So our first topic starts with a phrase that I say more than I'd like to admit. So I saw a TikTok. Yeah, even though I'm busy, even though I haven't been posting TikToks, I do watch when I have a spare minute here and there, you know, when I'm pooping or like taking a sip of coffee. Anyway, the TikTok sparked this idea in my head that this topic needed to be revisited. Now, this isn't addressing like the person who made the TikTok or yada da. It's that this conversation that happened on TikTok is a carbon copy of many, many conversations that I hear from different circles, different people on different mediums, and they all echo the same sentiment. That is a group of misconceptions about BDSM and about kink that slip into harmful, not slip into, like really dive down into the deep end. And oftentimes, these misconceptions are given legitimacy because it's like, well, I took, uh, you know, a psychology class in school or uh, human sexuality or whatever, and this is what they told me. Or I have a therapist and we talked about yada yada, and this is what they told me. And those people are the mental health and psychology or sociology or whatever, you know, subject matter you got this expert information from, so they must know. In a nutshell, these misconceptions are that practicing kink is always sexual, that kink is uh, abnormal, that it slides into pathological, that people that do age play, namely littles play, or quote, dark little play, which is sexual age play, that there's something wrong, it's abusive, it's reenacting trauma, yada, yada, that practicing kink, especially uh, more hardcore sadomasochism, whether that's psychological or physical, is a form of self-harm and is dangerous, and that there's a huge departure between the knowledge of alternative sexualities, including BDSM and kink, that the academic and professional spheres have versus the information and knowledge that common everyday community and kink subculture folks have. So you can see it took me, what, three minutes almost or yeah, three minutes to recap that. I'm looking at my recording right now. Uh, no way I can make a three-minute TikTok talking about all this. So uh, here we go. Um, who knows? Maybe this will be the whole episode. We'll see how far we get. There's so much to unpack here. And it isn't uncommon for people on the outside, even people within our own communities, within the kink subculture, to think these things as well. So, where do we start? Um, a little background. Kink has not had, and when I say kink, I'm talking BDSM, and we'll get to deconstructing that in a minute. Kink has not had its Masters and Johnson's moment, its Kinsey Institute moment, right? We have that preliminary sex, sex research from the mid 20th century, even though, yeah, a lot of it was helpful, but a lot of it, mm, now we've, we're kind of like, oh, okay, walking that back. Um, 
We haven't had that in kink. So there's a lot of misconceptions out there. Secondly, when it comes to psychology and mental health, it is not an exact science. It's a behavioral science. So we are always learning more about, you know, neurology, psychology, the mind-body connection, so many different things. And of course, like sociology and anthropology. Logic. Why can't I ever say that word? <laughs> anyway, those things all factor in. It's a big, 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 big subject. Now, there hasn't been a whole lot of funded sex research in general, but you know, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're doing pretty well. But when it comes to kink research specifically, hardly any. It's only been recently in the last few years that there has been a more funded studies, be more interest all around in doing that. And that information takes time to research, to collate, to disseminate, etc. And so if you are in an academic setting, where your professors have been teaching the same material for, you know, I don't know how long, they are not up on the latest research, which happens, right? Or they're not, that's not their specialty. Maybe your professor or therapist specializes in general mental health or trauma or something, but they know nothing about sexuality and especially alternative sexuality. As I said, psychology changes constantly. It wasn't that long ago that homosexuality was considered abnormal. We know now that that's not true. And it's the same with kink, aka paraphilias. In the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Health Disorders, paraphilias are no longer abnormal. That came out in May of 2013. So that's still almost 10 years ago. But people are still in that mindset, just like, oh, I forget the year when they took homosexuality out of the DSM, but it's, it's been a while. Are there still people out there? that still think it's abnormal? Yeah. Okay, so that change just happened for kink nine years ago. There are still people that aren't up on that. And some of those people are academics. Some of those people are clinicians and mental health professionals. Currently in the DSM-5, the um, only issue is if your paraphilia, aka your fetish, which again, if we're dissecting the definition of fetish, having a kink and doing kink, being a kink practitioner, those are all very different things. And we tend to conflate that language, which is also not helping confuse, not confuse things. Um, So it's only if you have that fetish or that desire to an abnormal degree. That could, however, be with anything, right? When it becomes a maladaptive coping strategy and the line of thinking or the modality now is it isn't necessarily that thing that is the problem. Let's say you're so obsessed with feet, 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 that like you're you're missing work because you're looking at feet and you're, you know... There's something more behind that than just like the feet are so compelling that you can't stop. 
It's let's dig deeper and figure out why you are using this uh, to a degree that is compulsive in a maladaptive manner, right? Uh, And the same could be true with, I don't know, gambling, Twinkies, uh, sniffing candles at Bath and Body Works. I don't know. Like anything can be a maladaptive coping strategy. And I'm just throwing this out there. I am not a mental health professional. Okay. Yes, I have taken, you know, minor in women's studies. I've taken a bunch of almost a minor in psychology. Didn't quite like a couple classes short. Um, and I'm a certified sexuality educator. I train uh doctors, uh, mental health professionals and clinicians, care professionals. I train master students who are are studying to become these things. I give guest lectures at human sexuality classes, yada, yada. I'm kind of like your liaison between what's really happening in the community and what is going on in academia and research. So I'm kind of the, I'm the meat in the middle of the really weird sandwich. So that's a super brief peek into why our esteemed, respected professionals still teaching such outdated things or telling their clients such outdated things. Also, we're all human and we all have bias. Those who are mental health professionals that specialize in sexuality, like sex therapists, et cetera, are required periodically to um, have training that are called SARS. They're S-A-R-S, not SARS like COVID. (laughs) It stands for Sexual Attitude Reassessment. And those are, uh, you know, all day or usually multi-day, like a whole weekend sort of mini uh, intense course about reevaluating your own personal biases to sex and sexuality and seeing how that may affect the way you give your clients treatment because you are transposing your own biases onto your client's situation. So this is not, oh my goodness, somebody's a professional saying something outdated. Like this is actually pretty common. So know that going in. That's the setup. Now moving on. So let's address the first very common misconception that is everywhere is that kink is sexual. Absolutely. If your kink is not sexual, you're not doing kink. Okay, so first of all, that is not true. But why? I mean, if you look up any definition, if you look up what a kink is, a kink is something that you are into that turns you on that falls outside of the sexual norm. And the sexual norm is variable depending on what social group you're in, what culture you're in, and what is deemed acceptable. So by that definition, for some people, maybe a blowjob is super, super kinky. And for other people, you're like, that's not even sex. Like I do that all the time. No big deal. Uh, So that definition of kink is subjective. But there's a couple problems with that definition is that is what asexual kink is is. That can apply to people who consider themselves largely vanilla, where the academia is lagging behind. But now the newest research is starting to uncover this is, well, what do we mean when we say sexually turns you on? I have omitted 
the sexual from my definition and a lot of the uh you know folks who are up on the most current research have too i leave it at turns you on with a caveat that turns you on can be many 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 things and also that our definition of what sexual is needs to be reexamined does it always involve genitals tingling and throbbing and engorging? Could we replace sexual with erotic or sensual? And if we do, which most are in agreement we can, what is erotic and what is sensual? Or intimate, does it always equate to sexual? No, it doesn't. So fundamentally, we have a problem with that commonly accepted definition that we have had for eons and eons and eons. Now, as we know, language always evolves and psychology is a behavioral science. It is not an exact science. It's not math. It's not chemistry. It's not quantum physics. It's all kind of made up. It's humans observing something, trying to understand it, devising a framework to explain it from the point of view that they have with their knowledge, like their own personal bias at the time, or society's own views at that time, and explaining it with a framework that is not fact. It is ever changing. So that's something to keep in mind. Now, let's talk about the other definitions of kink. I, I Think of the word kink kind of like the word fuck, right? The word fuck can be, uh, you know, like I am fucking or oh, fuck or oh, fuck, yeah. Like it could be good. It could be bad. It could be a gazillion different parts of speech. And you don't know what that fuck is unless you understand the tone and the context in which it was said, right? So kink is very similar. So when we say kink as in you have a, you know, sexual, erotic, sensual, intimate, whatever you want to say, kink, that is much different than being a kink practitioner. Now, when we say you're a kink practitioner, what we really mean is BDSM, bondage and discipline, domination and submission and sadomasochism. But why are we calling it kink? And why does kink have different definitions that are, like, are totally different, like the word fuck? Well, here is why. Thanks to censorship and uh, just stigma in society, we can't say BDSM. I can't say BDSM on Instagram. I can't say BDSM on social media. And even when I'm talking to people, you know, face to face, there's that bias, that unconscious bias that we have, that stigma that we have when we hear the word BDSM, it conjures up all of these horrible awful things. I know it's not a word technically, it's an acronym, but whatever. People have these preconceived notions that are usually negative. And if I'm talking about BDSM in a way where I want them to feel open to understanding something different than what their assumptions are, I'm not going to use words that make them put up walls and make them feel uneasy. I'm going to use words that are more disarming. So again, that's where kink comes in. So those two things together have changed the way society 
labels these things. So we call BDSM now kink. They're interchangeable. But doing kink and having a kink are two different things, just like fuck. So now let's just say for shits and giggles that you're like, no, no, no. I, the definition of a kink to me is something that turns you on sexually that falls outside of the sexual norm. And I will not budge on that. It is sex, 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 sex. Cool. I mean, it's not, but let's just say, okay. Um, That does not mean that people practicing kink or doing kink or engaging in a kink scene is sexual because they're two different things. So bondage and discipline, domination and submission and sadomasochism. All right. That's BDSM. There is not sex in that acronym at all. And you might be like, but, 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 but wait, I saw Fifty Shades of Grey. I've read all the erotica, like, and I know people that do kink and it is very sexual for them. Absolutely. Sexual kink is very, very valid. And I think we do kink a disservice in, in, in one respect by hitting home that like kink is not inherently sexual. Kink is not inherently sexual or BDSM. When I say kink, I'm really meaning BDSM in this context. So while that is true, the fact that we like pounded home so hard for very good reason also at the same time invalidates people who do practice sexual kink. So that's kind of, I don't know the solution to that problem. It's just, I think us being cognitive uh, of that balance when we're talking about it, that they are both very valid points to make and they appear to oppose each other. Anyway, yeah, lots of people find their kink sexual for a lot of reasons. But why am I saying kink? And again, when I say kink in this context, I mean BDSM is not inherently sexual. That's because sex is a tool that you can choose to use. Just like you can choose to use a flogger, you can choose to use spanking, you can choose to use, you know, playful psychological humiliation, or you can choose to use sex. Now, for a lot of people, sex is a really popular choice, and a lot of people do include that in their kink, but it is not necessary. Then you might be going, so then wait a minute, what separates kink? from uh, riding a roller coaster or uh, marathon running or some kind of intense, you know, watching a scary movie, going to an escape room, going to a haunted house. What's the difference then? Is going to a haunted house kink? Um, c- kind of, sort of, but not at all at the same time. So this is where Humans' understanding of human behavior, human sexuality, and the need for thrills, things that get all of our endorphins, our, our, all of our cocktail of chemicals that give us that, quote, natural high or change our mental state, uh, we don't really understand them very well. There's a book called Hurt So Good by Lee Cowart. And 
I highly recommend, if you're into this, reading this book. And basically, and I have some TikToks about, I think one of my pinned TikToks is about benign masochism. So this is a study uh, or an area of study that researchers have been focusing on as of late in the last few years. I know there's a guy in the East Coast, I can't remember his name. Um, But basically, we're hypocrites when it comes to masochism because it is acceptable masochism, or as they have coined it, benign masochism to want to ride a roller coaster, to train for a marathon to the point where you're throwing up on the side of the running trail and you're fucking miserable, but you love it to to see the scary movies, to go to the haunted houses, even to go into one of those like float tanks, those sorts of things, right? Uh, why is that okay? But the minute it crosses into being interpreted as kink, aka BDSM, it is completely different. It's not that different. The only difference is ours is associated with sex, whether we're actually doing it or not. And a lot of folks don't include sex in their BDSM, and that is not just asexuals. Now, granted, there are some people that will use BDSM as a like a turn on a warm up, like it gets them sexual in the mood, maybe they have responsive desire. It's you know, they don't just like, boom, I'm horny, that gets them going completely valid. And some of those folks include sex in their BDSM scenes. And some of those folks don't include sex in their BDSM. And maybe the sex is the aftercare later. There are some asexual folks, because you're asexual does not mean you don't have sex. Asexual means you do not have physical attraction to other people. You don't see a person and go, I want to fuck them. But you might still have a libido. You might still be like, hey, I feel like fucking, right? I feel like Doja Cat is at her song. I feel like fucking something. Okay. Um, but that's so- it's something, not someone, right? So, um, and, and asexuality is a spectrum. There are some asexuals that are sex repulsed that want nothing to do with sex, right? But the fact that some people uh, have sex in their BDSM, some people don't have sex, isn't like only the asexual people don't have sex. Blah, blah. It's all over the board. There are people who are allosexual means meaning they're the opposite of asexual. They, they are sexually attracted to people that might be considered hypersexual. And, you know, they like sex three times a day and they're just like sex, 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 sex. But guess what? Maybe some of those people are like, hmm, I also like BDSM, but my sex and BDSM don't go together. It's like eating crab legs with ice cream. Like they're both delicious, but they do not go together. They ruin each other if they go together. Now, here's another great resource, both for clinicians and academics, and also, I say, lay people, kinky people who are just really interested in the why behind all of this that are kind of like sex geeks or, or kink geeks will appreciate this book. It's called The Leather Couch, Clinical Practice with Kinky Clients by Stephanie, and I'm going to misprint. Gorlick, I think I did it right. This book won an ASECT award. It's it's an amazing, amazing book. So the author is a sex therapist with 15 years of experience and specializes in the BDSM community and alt sex. And the book is written in a conversational, accessible style for clinicians and members of the BDSM community alike. So it's it's an amazing, amazing book. There are lots of interviews with kinksters and then like the analysis of like what this means and how they fall into whatever buckets. 
But one of the things I wanted to point out was uh, on page seven, early on, there is the GSRD carousel, and it's the Gender, Sexuality, and Relationship Diversities carousel. Now, this is becoming more and more popular. I'm hearing more and more discussions about the GSRD carousel. And I talked about it in one of my other um, kink freestyle episodes. I'm not sure if it was one or two. Just like if you're interested in this conversation, go back and listen to the other two because they're good. But basically, it's a wheel that has the different pie pieces that make up our erotic selves, our sexual selves, our sensual selves, whatever that may be. And those are made up of sexual orientation, your sex, like your male, female, intersex, etc., your gender, your gender expression, your power expression, which is like dominant, submissive, switch, egalitarian, your sensory expression. It goes from none to sadistic to switch to masochistic, your fetish engagement, it goes from like never to always and in between, your sociosexual orientation, which goes from, you know, celibate to monogamous to polyamorous to like open or swinging, your romantic orientation, going from aromantic to homoromantic and everywhere in between, and your sexual orientation that goes from asexual all the way down to homosexual. Now, I would actually put a few more in there that I think I, I've talked about before. And when my book comes out, there's there's going to be some other stuff that's kink focused. But when we look at this GSRD carousel, it really turns what we know about sexuality, sexual expression, sexual identity, sexual orientation, etc. on its damn head. It, it is of my opinion and, and some other researchers' opinions, but we're not there yet with a new framework, that the way we have built upon our faulty foundation of knowing about sexuality and sexual expression, and we just keep building and building and building and building on it. And like when you build a house on a faulty foundation, it just like falls down. And I, it, we're getting that way with understanding our identities and parsing them up into smaller and smaller pieces. It's like, oh, shit, it made sense when it seemed to make sense when we laid the foundation, right? And we're like, all right, you're just either gay or lesbian or this, that. It's easy. And now we're like, oh, no, there's like the sensual expression, the power expression. So if all of those things make up our sexuality, sex is only one little piece of that pie. So yeah, when we're, we're saying that something is sexual, is that really what we mean? We're saying sexual, but really we're meaning how you feel about your sensory expression and your power expression and your fetish engagement and your uh, relationship orientation and and how the combination of all of these things that makes the blueprint of you. So it's a lot, a lot to chew on. And it's just, I'm just giving you a little bit. It's like, go do your own research. But this is another book to get. Another book that I love that isn't really a kink book, but it sheds a lot of light. The first, this book is in two halves. The first half of this book is amazing. It's called Why Good Sex Matters by Nan Wise, PhD. Nan Wise was a sex therapist, went back to school for um, neuroscience. So the first half of this book is basically the neuroscience of sex, which is really the neuroscience of pleasure. And the in the very early on, there's a dissection of what pleasure 
actually means in a sexual context, in a leisure context, in like, you know, a hedonistic context, uh, how as a society we have misappropriated what pleasure is and made false equivalencies of like what's acceptable pleasure and what isn't. So that is another good resource to read to, to unpack all of this stuff. And one more resource as I keep pausing and going to my bookshelf and grabbing books. And now there's a mountain of books falling off my desk. Um, this again is not a book that's directly about uh, sexuality or kink, AKA BDSM, but it completely applies. It's called play. How It Shapes the Brain, Opens the Imagination, and Invigorates the Soul by Dr. Stuart Brown with Christopher Vaughn, the founder of the National Institute for Play. There is a whole neuroscience dedicated to studying play, and BDSM, aka kink, falls right into that. There's been a running joke for years that what we do is pervy LARPing. For those who are geeks, you know, LARPing is live action role play. So it's kind of like people who do Dungeons and Dragons or like vampire kind of, you know, stuff. But they're actually dressing up and going out and like acting it out and real like going into the forest and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, it's pervy LARPing. And then like on TikTok a couple years ago, uh, fuck LARPers became a hashtag, but it's spelled, I think, F-O-O-K, LARPers. And that's really what we're doing. There is not a uh, huge difference between role-playing games, Dungeons and Dragons, and kink. Believe it or not, that Venn diagram overlaps, not just in the kind of people who like it, but it actually overlaps. There's a therapist, Nikki Line, with a geek, I think geek therapy, geek therapeutics. I'll look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but uh, Nikki specializes in uh, therapy for people in alternative sexualities and uses gaming principles in all sorts of therapy. And of course, that you know, they do therapy for family therapy, kids, not just sex, but how gaming and play can be a way to access those parts of ourselves in a safe space and in a safe container. So we can play with them, process them, examine them, make friends with them without being fearful. Uh, you know, shameless plug for Zipper Magazine, who I'm the editor in chief of Zipper Magazine, which is a mainstream magazine about BDSM and kink. And Midori wrote uh, a great piece that you can actually listen to as well, because we have like some of our authors will read their articles like mini audiobooks. So it, and I'll put the link in the in the show notes. It is romancing the shadow, like the shadow self. We're getting into psychology again, right? Carl Jung, right? Uh, romancing the shadow, challenging limiting beliefs through kink, and that'll give you a really good peek into what I'm getting at with this, and what a lot of people are doing when they are practicing kink. Uh, in it, she says that she has discovered, I'm just give you a summary, discovered her monsters like inside of her that never get to come out that are there. And maybe like your monsters are dark, weird parts of yourself that you don't understand. Or maybe they're not. Maybe they're just like, you know, take charge, bossy, but not in a bad way. Just like, I know what the fuck I want. I'm, you know, uh, but they're not allowed to come out because, of your station in society, right? 
You're not allowed to express that part of yourself. So getting to know your monsters and making friends with them and letting them out to play in ways that are safe, where you're not going to hurt anybody, uh, where you're not doing it in a way to self-harm, yada, yada. So that's, that's a lot, but there's more. I want to address the notion of like, okay, well, if kink isn't sexual and you're just doing it for the, the, the masochistic uh, enjoyment of it, then you're using kink unhealthily and you're using it for self-harm. First of all, are there people that use kink for self-harm? Absolutely. Like we're not all perfect as human beings, right? There are also people that use vanilla relationships for self-harm, right? Like it isn't kink that's doing it. It's that we are humans And we don't understand our psychology and our motivations and our coping strategies. And we hurt ourselves a lot, sometimes without even realizing that's what we're doing. So yes, can people do that with kink? Do do some people do that with kink? Absolutely. Just like people do that with lots of other things. So then, all right, let's say you're doing quotes, doing the finger quotes, healthy kink, right? You're intentional about it. You're self-aware. You, um, you know, know about like your traumas and your coping strategies. And maybe you have a kink knowledgeable therapist that you're working with that can help you process some of this stuff to make sure that maybe you aren't doing some of this psychologically or physically masochistic stuff for a self-harm reason without understanding or without realizing, right? Okay, so then why are we doing this? Are we doing it because we want to abuse other people? Are we abusing ourselves? No. Again, under the assumption that this is, quote, healthy kink. No, this is not what we're doing. We're playing with the dark parts of ourselves because you know what? They are parts of ourselves, right? And we're doing it for lots of different reasons. Again, I'm going to give zippermagazine.com shout out. Melina has uh, an article that also is read. So go listen to the audio story. Like each one of these audio stories is like 12 minutes. It's perfect. It's like a little mini podcast episode. The prime directive, how kink and DS is all about growth and self-improvement and uh, being emotionally aware and taking care of yourself First, learning to be autonomous in that way, kind of like when you're in an airplane, you know, you have to put the oxygen mask on you first before you go help other people. Because if you fall apart, you're not going to be any good to anybody. And I'm saying this in a context of being an S-type or a submissive, because that's where Melina was coming from, is that people assume if you're a submissive, you're being abused, you're, you're, you know masochistic and you're like martyring yourself like just do whatever you want to me I have no will and no no uh, no 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 yeah that can slip into self-harm and sometimes from the outside looking in it looks like that's what we're doing because maybe in our quote play we are playing out those motions but for other reasons. We're doing it intentionally. We know exact. I want to feel bad. 
I want to feel humiliated. I want to feel hurt. I am consensually asking you to make me feel bad because the point of kink is to feel good, ultimately, in the long run, at the end of the day, even if that means that is happening through me consensually requesting that you make me feel bad because that leads me on the road to ultimately feeling good. All right, so, hmm, is that the only reason we do kink, aka BDSM? And actually, more specifically right now, I'm referring to sadomasochistic activities, things that from the outside looking in look like you are self-harming or, you know, permitting yourself to be harmed, self-harm through proxy, I guess, through another person or harming another. Uh, Before I get to that, I want to give you some alternate definitions of BDSM. You know, we know it's bondage and discipline, domination and submission and sadomasochism, but that really doesn't explain what we do. Those are more explaining um, the techniques in which we do the things, but it doesn't explain why we are doing them or what we are getting out of them. So there have been a number of alternate definitions for BDSM. Uh, Mine is the consensual exploration of non-traditional adult play that often includes things like intense sensation, role play, eroticization, and subversion of authority and social hierarchies, fetish or atypical sensory stimuli, and shifting consciousness, otherwise known as dom space or subspace. Um, And I often say it is about the brain fuck first and foremost, like we are fucking with our own minds on purpose right? Just like we are when we're in an escape room, on a roller coaster, whatever, in a float tank, same sort of thing. Um, And we're doing that intentionally, right? Uh, It's not necessarily about the sex, although sex is one tool of many that we can choose from to use. So, Uh, A couple of the other definitions is uh, Midori's definition. It's childlike play with adult sexual privilege and really cool toys. Uh, One of the things that um, gets a lot of folks from the outside looking in, even from the inside looking in, like, oh, the misconceptions are coming from within the house, is that there aren't a whole lot of rules in kink. People think there are like, well, if you're submissive, you must act like this. And if you're dominant, you must act like that. And if you're in this kind of relationship, you must act like this. None of that's true. Uh, Kink is customizable. It's my coined trademark phrase. I have stickers, join my Patreon, you'll get some. And uh, the only universal rule in kink, which again, when I say it in this context, I mean BDSM as a practitioner, you're somebody in the lifestyle, somebody who does it, whether it is just you are a dabbler and you do it every once in a while in the bedroom for fun, or you live this 24-7. That's what I'm talking about when I say kink. Um, The only universal rule is consent and even how you go about establishing and maintaining that consent, that is customizable as well. It needs to be present, but how you do it, although we have some best practices that I best advise you follow because they're good ones, it is ultimately up to you. And kink is a, a lot about 
mental smoke and mirrors. We really were putting ourselves in these situations where uh, we're in a safe threat. We're playing with our threat response. Again, let's go back to the roller coasters, right? For moments on a roller coaster, you're like, oh my God, I might actually die. What if there is a malfunction and I die? That has gone through our minds, right? (laughs) But we like it. And, and we still feel, even though we, we have that moment where we're on the edge and we're about to lose our shit, like the people we see in those videos, I feel horrible when they're like on the roller coaster and they're crying and sobbing and calling for their mom and passing out. In kink, we can safe word and stop that shit anytime. You vanillas don't know consent or safe words. <laughs> And we're the fucked up ones. This episode, we've been talking about figuring out what you really want, exploring to figure out what gives you the pleasure that you've been searching for. And a wonderful way to explore your inner desires and fantasies is with Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short and very sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. You'll find stories about that intriguing coworker with a British accent or hooking up with that super hot yoga instructor. They even have stories designed specifically your zodiac sign. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy also has sleep stories, wellness sessions, and now they offer written stories too. It is your go-to place to explore your fantasies or heat things up alone or with a partner. For listeners of American Sex Podcast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny. That's S-U-N-N-Y. Again, that is 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash sunny. That's dipsystories.com slash sunny. Are you close to your bedroom? Open your sex toy drawer. And if you're not, just think about it because I know you know exactly what's in it. Really, now think about exactly what's in it. Old, expired, sticky, weird lube bottles, toys that are past their prime. It is time for some spring cleaning and to get a new set of naughty essentials. And no, I know what you're thinking, like, what a pain in the butt to replace it all. No, it's not because Like a Kitten makes buying sex essentials a breeze. They offer subscription boxes. So each season, you'll receive a new shipment right to your door with all of the ingredients you need to spice up your sex life. Their spring box is designed to tickle all the senses with treats like strawberry nipple arousal cream, cheeky apple lube, and melting rose petals for the bath. The people at Like a Kitten are expert curators and they select such beautiful pleasure products. This spring, you'll get flowered glass Kegel balls, a pink glass dildo. You'll even get a mini flower pot with real seats for daisies, sunflowers, roses, 
I love Like a Kitten because I don't have to think about it and agonize and plan. And I get surprising new things that inspire me to think outside the box and get creative. And this spring, their subscription box is $79, which is a great deal because you'll get well over $150 worth of products. And to celebrate spring, Like a Kitten is offering American Sex Podcast listeners 15% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash sunny. That's S-U-N-N-Y. Or just use the code sunny at checkout. Again, that's likeakitten.com slash sunny or use sunny at checkout to get 15% off these incredible boxes. Likeakitten.com slash sunny. And that link is in the episode description. You vanillas don't know consent or safe words. <laughs> and we're the fucked up ones, you know. Um, but a lot of it is that smoke and mirrors because it is that safe threat. We we try to make it seem really like, oh my God. But behind the scenes, there's all this care and safety to make sure that we're not being reckless. And again, when I'm talking about this, I am talking about kink done, quote, ethically or right or with intention. Does that mean there are not people out there that are like doing fucked up shit and calling it? No, absolutely. There are. There are lots of those people. And that is not what kink is supposed to. That is abuse. If it is not consensual, if it is not done with intention, if it is done with either intent to harm or so recklessly without care that harm may result, that is not kink, a.k.a. BDSM. That is reckless behavior and or abuse. So uh, I feel like I just have my mom voice on there. <laughs> anyway. Let's talk about some of the reasons that we engage in BDSM, not just like, well, I like sadomasochism and I like to feel scared. One, to access a state of play, like playing Dungeons and Dragons, like tapping into that creative part of ourselves to access a state of flow. Those are all really important things to our human development and our happiness. To another thing, a second, I guess, uh, to tap into our natural high, that altered state of consciousness where, you know, dopamine, serotonin, it's oxytocin, like all these different things, right? Norepinephrine, all just making us feel good and different. There is uh, very strong theories that it can facilitate somatic healing and nervous system regulation. I'm not going to get into it. I'll get into it in the book. I've gotten into it in other places, but that's another thing. It could be therapeutic exposure or desensitization to things, aka corrective experiences. Maybe I want you to humiliate me. And maybe I don't know this consciously. Like people don't go into it like, well, I want you to humiliate me because I had an experience in my past that made me. We don't know why we do. We just do it. But this is actually what it's doing in the background. I call that like when you have a, 
you're playing on your computer and your operating system's like, hey, we got a system as update, but we're going to do it in the background so you can keep playing World of Warcraft. You won't even know that these improvements are happening. That's kind of what kink is a lot of times. Like we're not necessarily doing this intentionally, but it is the background systems download that we're benefiting from that we don't always realize. So it could be, you know, maybe I I was in lots of out of control situations in my life, you know, abusive, whatever, right? Society as a woman, I get shut down, I get minimized, I get gaslit, I get disrespected, not believed, that sort of thing, right? And uh, maybe I want to reenact feeling minimized and, you know, the things that seem bad. But guess what? This time it, it, it's different and it feels good because I have control over it. It's all consensual. I asked for it. Nothing is happening that I don't want. And guess what? At the end, I get a reward. Maybe that's just feeling good. Maybe that is sex. Maybe that, is, you know, whatever it is, whatever I want, I get. I'm in control of it. So I'm rewriting, you know, I'm rewiring those neural pathways. What fires together, wires together, right? Again, go back to Nan Wise's book, Why Good Sex Matters. Neuroscience. It's amazing. Um, maybe we do it for emotional self-analysis. Hey, I want to see how I act when I'm in such and such a situation, or I want to explore these things about myself, my quote, monsters, like Midori says in her article. Um, it could be an exploration of power structures and oppression. Maybe, uh, like for me, I like to be dominant, and I like to um, very much use my femininity, especially when I am in a BDSM situation with somebody who is a cis male who would normally have, or white cis male specifically, because I am a woman of color, um, I like to play with that subversion. Like now I am the one in control. I am the one in charge. I like to, uh, you know, do the gender fuckery. Like I'm femme, I'm hard femme, but like, I want you to call me sir. And I want you to call me daddy. Uh, there are, let's say cis men. And these are just like canned examples. There's a gazillion different varieties of why and what I'm just giving some of the stereotypes don't think they're the only ones. Um, there may be like, we see men who like to be feminized or cross dress. And a lot of people say, Oh my goodness, they're making a mockery out of uh, femininity and womanhood. And, you know, that we are uh, subservient and we're, you know, lower or whatever. Granted, are there some people that do fucked up things? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're human, right? But again, done, quote, ethically and right, there are a lot of folks, cis men in that situation, who maybe are like, you know, put panties on me, call me a sissy, say I'm just pretty, say I'm going to act like a bimbo or whatever, um, or like treat me like uh, I'm small and I need to be taken care of and I can't do anything for myself. Because you know what? As a man in the real world, I never get to be vulnerable. I never get to be the little spoon and have somebody take care of me. And if I ask for that in society, either somebody is looking at me going, well, you're supposed to be, that's not very masculine now. I thought you were a man. Or even if nobody's doing that, society has conditioned me so much where I, that's my self-talk. I can't do it as my normal everyday cis man self because that little voice in my head is like, you're not being a man. You're not. You can't do that. You can't cry. You can't 
right? So again, we're accessing different parts of ourselves that don't get much airtime in a safe container of play. Wow. You know what people also do? They do that when they play Dungeons and fucking Dragons. It's the same thing, except most of us don't like have our dick out at the gaming table. <laughs> I mean, depending, some of us do. Um, and, and okay, so let's go to littles as I'm going through this list, right? People are like, littles is abuse. You know, if you're a little, it's age regression. First of all, it is not. Age regression is a therapeutic thing uh, where you actually get into, like, you are a child in your mind. Nobody is saying, do that, and then, like, have sex, right? Um, people who are littles in the kink community, this is a role play. And going back to the history, right now, people are like, oh, there's an age regression community that looks very much like the littles community with BDSM. And the age regression community tend to be younger. They tend to be younger millennials and a lot of Gen Zers. And they're like, you perverts are taking our age regression and making it dirty. How dare you? First of all, there's enough for the whole class. There's enough age play for the whole class. We can all have what we want without like fighting. And secondly, kinksters have been doing this for forever. Like littles, that terminology, that little space, that language, that since at least the 80s, like going back, you know, looking at like documentation, there isn't a whole lot of documentation before that. But yeah, we've been doing this a long time. The age regression community came out of like 2016 Tumblr, which 2016 Tumblr gave us a lot of things uh, that ended up being conflated with kink. And it's cool that you're doing age regression. You're doing it in a non-sexual way. We have not co-opted your language. You have co-opted our language. However, that's cool. Like, don't sweat it. Have it. Like, this is, if it makes you feel good, it's customizable. Do this kind of play in any way you want. Even if you don't want to call it kink, cool. But A, let's not fight about it. And B, let's both kinksters and the age regression community understand that we are two separate communities. We are both very valid. And yeah, okay, age regression community, you did co-opt our stuff. But actually, we don't care. We're like, cool, have fun. That's what it's about. But we all need to know, because sometimes like we run into age regressors as kinksters and we treat them like kinksters and they get pissed or age regressors run into us and treat us like we're bad because we're kinksters and it's like, but we don't realize we're two different communities. So just know that going forward. But Little's Play, as I was talking about like the exploration of power structures and oppression, I say that in kink, we are perverting social hierarchies and norms for our pleasure. And pleasure is any way you define it, whether that is sexual, sensual, uh, brain tingles is what I call it, you know, cerebrally, whatever it is. So the example I gave with the cis man, you want to feel vulnerable and, you know, whatever, because you don't get to have that. Same with Little's Play, often. You want to tap into that space. Does it have to do with like, oh, it's because you were, uh, have some big trauma from your childhood and oh my God, that's what you're doing. It. You're doing kink is because of trauma. No. And yes. And maybe. And sometimes. And never. And always. Like it's all of the answers, right? We're all different. However, are there some people 
that are exploring their trauma through kink? Absolutely. Can that be psychologically dangerous? Absolutely. Do I recommend that you find a kink positive, not not just kink positive, but kink knowledgeable, not just kink friendly, kink knowledgeable therapist to process some of this stuff with? Absolutely. Do I also understand that mental health care is a privilege and most people can't afford it? And sometimes you got to do what you got to do, even though it comes with risks of like psychologically fucking yourself up. I understand that too. Like, <laughs> so all across the board. So yeah, some of us do work through our traumas with kink. Sometimes they're big triggery traumas and we do them in the wrong way and get triggered. And sometimes we just explore a little piece of them in a way that is therapeutic. I say that kink is can be therapeutic, but it is absolutely not therapy or a replacement for therapy. But guess what? There's nothing wrong with that because we are enacting our traumas and exploring our traumas and pulling out our traumas and acting because of our traumas every fucking moment of every fucking day. And kink is no different. We do the same thing in vanilla sex. We do the same thing in line at the grocery store when somebody steps in front of us and in our minds, we're like, hey, motherfucker, yeah. Do you see a line here? That's what you're saying. In your head, you're telling them off. But you go to open your mouth and you're like, I cannot. I cannot speak up for myself. I cannot. Like in your head, you are ready to fucking tear them a new one. You're pissed. But then if your mouth opens, you're like, oh, no, it's fine. Go ahead. Right? You're at a restaurant that you ask for something very specific. They bring you the wrong thing. Can you speak up? No. You're like, no, it's fine. I'll just eat this blue cheese dressing. You know, why do we do that? Hmm. Sometimes is it because of our own traumas? We've been minimized and haven't been taught we could speak up. Or when we speak up, we've been punished. We've been abused. Maybe our caretakers. Maybe it's our attachment. Style. Yes. So those of us who bring kinks or bring traumas into our kinks, big fucking deal. We bring trauma into everything or we can. So it's no different. Anyway, uh, back to my list, because I just went on a tangent. A couple other reasons why we might do kink. We tend to fetishize what's taboo, right? Uh, oh, pee is gross. Oh, <laughs> I want to play with it. <laughs> We're not supposed to have that. You want it, right? It's basic psychology 101. We also reenact themes or scenes that we see in popular culture. Uh, or personal life experiences, or our past peak erotic experiences. Another book that add to your list is Jack Marin's The Erotic Mind that talks all about peak erotic experiences and dissecting our erotic minds. It is a must read both for clinicians and for just regular kinksters and lay people. Um, but like themes and scenes in pop culture, my generation, Gen X, like, oh, if I could do some quicksand scenes. There was quicksand in every fucking TV show when I was a kid. Like, oh my God, quicksand, what am I going to do? These days, the millennials reenact a lot of um, like themes, even if it's under the radar from like Disney movies, like Jasmine and who's resonating with that, right? Um, and sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it like um, – it's the things we write fan fiction about Ray and uh, oh, what's it? Adam driver. Wow. I'm not remembering his name, you know, star Wars, uh, the scene. It's like, you, you, 
spoiler if you haven't seen it uh you know your siblings you're not we know you're not supposed to fuck and why do you think uh incest porn is so popular and that now it's like stepmom and stepsister because that's a taboo we fetishize that shit even though like in reality it is horrible and that's what jack morin's the erotic mind talks about how when it comes to our erotic responses all of our morals, all of what we know to be right, all of that stuff goes out the window. Things that would normally turn us off and make us go, oh my God, no, that is so fucking wrong when we are not turned on. And and again, I'm using turned on in the broadest space, whether it's sexually turned on, whether it's that brain tingles, whether it's like hitting us in that place, whatever that place is for us, suddenly that gross thing becomes the thing we want to do. Our fantasies are not, quote, I hate the, the term politically correct, like socially sensitive, I guess is now the, the word. They go directly against our morals, right? We, we, are, we could be like, I am a staunch feminist in my everyday life, but in my kink life, I love to be like a 1950s housewife that I will get uh, spanked and admonished if I don't, uh, you know, vacuum the floor and bring my husband his slippers and make like a jello casserole dinner, right? They're not logical. The things that turn us on are not logical and do not follow our default world daytime morals and beliefs. And a lot of times we wrestle with that. It makes us feel like we're horrible fucking people. I'm a feminist. How could I be into that? And then we beat ourselves up over it. If we just understand that the erotic mind makes no sense, uh, it's nothing to be ashamed of, and we can play with those things safely in a consensual, intentional container, and we can like examine it work it out, get it out of our system, maybe dive into it, whatever. It's much better doing that consensually in the safe container of kink play than it is not realizing that part about yourself, trying to bury it, and then it ends up coming out in your real life vanilla romantic relationships. I've been there. I am inherently attracted to these people that are the worst for me that are abusive to me that are you know I'm not saying it's not my it's it's my fault absolutely not but it's like yeah I can feel like I'm attracted to stuff that's fucked up and when I get with the fucked up stuff or the fucked up people or whatever in a realistic situation that can lead to trouble but guess what? If I play act it with smoke and mirrors in a very controlled environment, I can enjoy the fuck out of it and not get hurt or at least, you know, not non-consent, not get harmed. <laughs> I can get hurt because I'm asking for it. So uh, one other couple other things, a lot of neurodivergent folks align with kink communication protocols. I am neurodivergent and I the way we communicate in kink and the framework and the structure and the consent and everything that is, you know, very clearly said or put on paper, that works with me. I don't do wink, wink, innuendo, flirt. What did you mean by that? I have no idea what's going on. Like, no, not good for me. So you're going to find a lot of neurodivergent folks in kink communities and kink subcultures and also a lot of asexual folks. Because again, asexuality only has to do with 
sexual attraction to other people. And yes, some asexuals are sex repulsed. But guess what? Just because you're sex repulsed doesn't mean you're intimacy repulsed. Doesn't mean you are sensory repulsed. It doesn't mean you are power dynamic repulsed, right? It doesn't mean you are sensation repulsed. All of those things. So that's why you'll find a lot of asexuals in kink too. So this has been like my whole uh kink freestyle episode has been talking about this. So I guess I'm not going to name the episode kink freestyle. We'll have to have kink freestyle another time. But I want to give you a few more resources for those who are clinicians or those who are uh, in school or those who are just BDSM geeks that want to know more about this stuff. So I want you and I'm going to put all of these links in the show notes. The first organization that I want you to look up is TASHRA, T-A-S-H-R-A, the Alternative Sexualities Health Research Alliance. It is a nonprofit. I'm just going to read from their bio real quick. As champions of kink-competent healthcare, TASHRA supports empirical research on this misunderstood and often pathologized sexual minority. Our vision is a world where fear, prejudice, and discrimination doesn't prevent people involved in a broad variety of sexual interests and activities from receiving caring, compassionate, and competent care from physical and mental health professionals. Their sister organization is CARIS, um, and they are approved by the American Psychological Association to sponsor continuing education for psychologists, etc. They are also a great organization to uh, get familiar with. It is carasresearch.org. And you can, as an academic, as a student, etc., join their, uh, like subscribe to their stuff for a year. And here it says becoming a Kara subscriber helps you connect to researchers and work in the area of alternative sexualities, especially sexualities that don't get much attention, investigation, support, or space in most academic and professional settings. They offer a bunch of different programs, whether it's mentoring, education, they have a reading group, they have conferences, uh, an advisory board, etc. And uh, they sponsor a whole lot of really great research. And you can become a subscriber for $75 a year, or the student subscription is $30 a year. If you're not a professional and you're just somebody in the community, the community subscription is $50 a year. So I highly recommend that you uh, visit them. Now, I also briefly talked about ASECT, but I want to explain what it is. It's the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And everything that I'm talking about, about kink here today, uh, ASECT is on board with this viewpoint about kink. Now, ASECT isn't just about kink. It is all sexuality professionals. Like you'll hear a lot of... um, uh, therapists say, you know, I'm ASEC certified in sex therapy. So ASEC has a bunch of different certifications that they do themselves or that they endorse with other organizations. One is the Sexual Health Alliance Kink Aware Professional Certificate Program. It is one of the few kink certificate programs for mental health uh, professionals, for clinicians, for any kind of care professional, including sexuality educators. Uh, Midori, who I talked about, who, you know, she did the article for Zipper Magazine, who is 
BDSM Education Royalty is the educational director for that program. I have done a unit for that program is very highly respected. And you get ASEC CEUs for taking that program, which is continuing education units as a clinician, you will have to have so many continuing education units, you know, every so yada yada years. So that can count towards that. Now, speaking of clinicians and sexuality professionals, uh, when you uh, specialize in sex, you know, whether that's uh, therapy, whatever, there are something called SARS is a and I told you about this before the sexual attitude reassessments, that is also something that happens. And if you go to these organizations, ASECT, yada, yada, you can see what kind of SARS are available. And there are a lot that are pertaining to kink. Another great, great research team is the Science of BDSM team, uh, headed up by Dr. Brad Sangerin out of NIU Northern Illinois University. This team over the years has done some groundbreaking research. They also give out really cool lapel pins. I have a couple. So, uh, you know, a lot of the members of the team are part of the BDSM community. So what they do is they will go to uh, different BDSM conventions, et cetera, and set up real life, you know, quote unquote, lab environments in the dungeon, where they measure all sorts of, you know, let's measure your cortisol, let's give you a stroop test before and after you engage in this sadomasochistic scene, yada, yada. And they've done a lot of amazing groundbreaking research that is now being built upon. So if you go to scienceofbdsm.com, you'll find them. And I'll just read you a blurb. The Science of BDSM research team is led by Professor of Social Psychology, Dr. Brad sangrin and composed of academics and community members. Members of the team include graduate and undergraduate students in a variety of fields, professors of psychology, clinical psychologists, and kinky people who are interested in supporting research. The team aspires to produce and disseminate quality research on BDSM and kink-related topics. It goes on and on and on, um, but you know they do ethical studies and studies on relationships and, you know, what's happening, the chemicals in your body and really, really great research. And all of their research papers are available in full for free on their website. So you don't have to subscribe to get them. There are also a ton of great books and researchers. Uh, One I recommend starting out with is Dr. Justin Laymiller. He has written a book called Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life, plus has written a bunch of you know human sexuality books and academic textbooks, that sort of thing. He also has a new podcast that he started out as like a pandemic project because like you're bored at home and it's doing really well. The Sex and Psychology Podcast And uh, yeah, just really good work, uh, has surveyed a lot of folks on their um, unconventional sexual desires, kink, BDSM, etc. Lastly, I encourage you to look up research papers on these things. There's quite a bit. Uh, You know, utilize Google Scholar. Google Scholar is great. And if you find a study and you only see the abstract, plug in PDF and see if you can find the full PDF. The thing about academic researchers is they don't make any money if you buy the PDF of their study. And oftentimes they, you know, they want people to read it. So if you email them and be like, hey, I'm really interested in reading the full, uh, you know, paper on this, but I don't have access to blah, blah, blah. 
they'll just send it to you. It's one I recently came across. I mean, there's so, so many. Littles, Effects on Aesthetics and Sexual Age Play. This is a full research paper from December of 2018. It is on Springer Link. I will put the link to that in the show notes as well. Also, if you are a sexuality professional and you have business write-offs, or let's say you're a kinkster who's trying to explain this stuff to your therapist, and you gave your therapist this episode to listen to, and you're like, hey, I recommend these resources. Or if you just got some extra change and you're a real geek, subscribe to the Society for the Scientific Study of Sexuality. I want to say it's like 200 $250 a year, something like that, and you will get the... Um, Journal of Sex Research sent to you with all of the full academic papers in here. I'm like paging through it. I mean, it's really like geeky, sciencey stuff, but it's good. And again, it's all sorts of sex research. It's not just kink and, and BDSM, but there are often some really interesting, compelling things about kink and BDSM in the Journal of Sexual Research. So that's a lot. That is a whole, I was going to do a whole episode with like a bunch of different things I was going to answer. Um, but like, this is, this could be a whole quarter of a, an academic class. It really could. Like, this is just the introduction of like where we're going to go for this quarter. And lastly, if you are a professor, if you teach human sexuality, you're a student, you're in a human sexuality class, I guess lecture for human sexuality classes for, you know, whether it's like master's programs, PhD programs, undergrad, etc. If you want someone like me that can come in and dissect uh, what's happening right now in science and be that liaison that connects it to what's really happening in people's bedrooms and in the sexual subcommunities and that has uh you know uh, a finger on the pulse of how things really are right now not just how they are in books that were written 14 years ago hit me up cuz that's something i do and uh that's it i'll, I'll see you next time all right Go bust some kink stigma. Until next week. Bye, American fuckers. Thanks for listening to American Sex. What's that? You want more? Well, you can start by streaming our TV show on Showtime, Sex with Sunny Megatron. Then pop on over to SunnyMegatron.com. Everything's there. You can get updates on my new book, check out my sex ed and BDSM workshops, learn how to book me for your organization or for coaching. You know, we also want to hang out with you too, right? So come join our Discord community or follow along on TikTok or Instagram, Twitter, all the social media. I'm Sunny Megatron everywhere. And you can catch Ken on Twitter or tune in to his weekly D&D games on Twitch. If you want to support the show, a great way to do that is simply to tell people about it. Make a TikTok or tweet about your favorite part of this episode. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review too. And if you're a ride or die American fucker, you're going to want to join our Patreon community. We'll send you official American fucker stickers and you'll get a lot more too at patreon.com slash American sex. 
Now, just in case you happen to be one of the few that still has disposable income in this late-stage capitalist hellscape, well, when you're shopping for a new sex toy, BDSM gear, Kink Academy membership, or other things, please patronize our sponsors and affiliates. You'll get a discount, and it helps us too. Win-win. All those links and codes are in our show notes. Thanks, American fuckers. We appreciate the heck out of you. See you next time.